Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. I was thinking when I was listening to that, you just, you wish that would just keep going on. It's so, so beautiful and how um, there's something about the power of beautiful singing and beautiful songs that really ministers to your soul. And I was imagining um, in Luke 2 where it talks about the shepherds on a hillside and a choir of angels appears. I've actually never wondered until today how they sounded. It must have been so beautiful so that it wasn't a harsh message from God. It was a beautiful message from God done with singing of heavenly standards. I I just think it, it would be beyond our imagination because it would have been so, so beautiful. I read recently that if you're religious, you see God as useful, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you see God as beautiful. And I believe we're here today because we know he's beautiful. We want to see him increasingly as beautiful. And we're probably all aware of the fact that sometimes we just see him as useful. And there's the tension that's always there in our lives to see him as useful. For whatever religion it is, we see God as useful. But once you see him as beautiful, you're not worried about him being useful any longer because he's filling all your needs. So it's good to ask ourselves, how do you see him today? Useful or beautiful? I need to ask myself that all the time because I can fall back into the useful period. And today I believe he wants you just not to know about him as beautiful but to experience him as beautiful. You can't actually make that happen yourself. It's the amazing thing about it. The Holy Spirit will do something within you. But I'd like to pray that we all have open hearts. Whether you've never really experienced Jesus in your life or whether you have, honestly, it doesn't matter how many years you've been knowing him and loving him and serving him, there is always so much more. You will never reach the end. It's like you'll never reach the end of the universe. You'll never reach the end of experiencing God's love. So let's pray for ourselves as we and one another as we engage with him today. Thank you, Father, that you are present with us. Let's pause on that. You are present with us. And whether we are experiencing your presence or not right now, you are present with us. And may we experience you more fully today, Lord. May we see you more fully. May we have a greater understanding of who you are and your purposes for us and this whole creation in which we are living and existing and growing. May we learn what it means to thrive in a relationship with you, to know you and to celebrate you this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. This year has been a, as an interesting year. You've probably heard that said a billion times so far. And uh, that's because it's true. That's because that's what everyone's talking about. And uh, I read this poem recently. I think it describes it. It's actually um, written by a woman called Emily Pearl Kingsley and she wrote it around the experience of um, raising a child with a disability. But uh, you will understand that it fits with probably what most of us have been through this year. It's called Welcome to Holland. It says, when you're going to have a baby, it's like you're planning a vacation to Italy. You're all excited. You get a whole bunch of guidebooks. You learn a few phrases so you can get around and then it comes time to pack your bags and head for the airport. Only when you land, the stewardess says, welcome to Holland. You look at one another in disbelief and shock saying, Holland? What are you talking about? I signed up for Italy. But they explain there's been a change of plan that you've landed in Holland and there you must stay. But I don't know anything about Holland, you say. I don't want to stay, but stay you do. 
You go out and buy some new guidebooks, you learn some new phrases and you meet people you never knew existed. The important thing is that you are not in a bad place filled with despair, you're simply in a different place than you had planned. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there a little while and you have a chance to catch your breath, you begin to discover that Holland has windmills, Holland has tulips, Holland has Rembrandts. But everyone else you know is busy coming and going from Italy. They're all bragging about what a great time they had there. And for the rest of your life, you'll say, yes, that's what I had planned. The pain of that will never go away. You have to accept that pain because the loss of that dream, the loss of that plan is a very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to go to Italy, you will never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely things about Holland. And I reckon for most of us, we ended up in Holland this year and we didn't ask for it. You know, from I remember the, the Sunday we realised that we were going to have to change everything here to online church, everything in a flash. That was a little bit like Holland and the year's gone on with, with lots of Holland experiences this year. And what I've discovered about myself, and maybe you have discovered about yourself, is that you can tend to fall back into the God being useful type life to get you out of Holland because you didn't want to go there, rather than the God being beautiful type life, and discover that his presence is always with you. And what you need most of all is his presence. And sometimes we we wait, we just demand God that change change our outstern our, sorry, we demand that God will change our external circumstances. And he wants to fill us with his presence and transform our hearts and our minds. And there's something in us that resists that, isn't there? Have you ever experienced the resistance of God's plans and you think they can't even be God's plans for your life? Why would he want me to come to Holland? I always wanted to go to Italy. And I think if we, are, if we had another icebreaker and we shared with each other what's something that happened in your life that you didn't ask God to give you, is there anyone here who could say nothing? Everything about my life is exactly as the way I dreamed it was going to happen. For all of us, it's something different. And yet what I believe that we've discovered this year, whether we realise it or not, is the deep cries of our souls. Our souls are yearning for things that we believe will satisfy, we will believe will bring life to us. And it wasn't landing in Holland. It was Italy. We needed that gondola trip around Venice. We needed to walk around Florence and see the beautiful cathedrals and we, we felt we needed that. And God said, no, you needed tulips and windmills. And sometimes that is exactly what happens in your life. In fact, most years that is what, exactly what happens in your life. And yet you have this soul crying out saying, I need this. That's what your soul is doing all the time. It's crying out saying, I need this reputation. I need this image, I need this money, I need this job, I need this career, I need this training, I need this experience, I need to travel here, I need to do this. And all that is, is your soul crying out to be saved. It's actually your soul crying out to be valued, to be loved, to be fulfilled, to have everything that Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. That's what your soul is crying out for. And what you discover is that you cannot save your soul. And we spend our whole lives trying to do it. Sometimes even when we've found Jesus, we step back into the old life to try to rescue our soul. And as we come to Christmas, God is, I believe, showing us so much more about his presence. That's why we're talking about this Advent, about God with us. The incredible gift this is that you'll never totally get your mind around God with us. But today I hope that you just get it around just a little bit more than you've had before. Because 
What Jesus actually came to do was to breathe life into you. As Dallas Willard says, your soul is the most important thing about you. It is your life. And Jesus said, what, what's it worth if you gain the whole world? In other words, all those things that you were dreaming and, and longing for and planning for, what if you gain all of those and lose your soul? What he's saying is you can have everything that you ever dreamed and desired for and in the process you lose your very soul, the, your very life, the part of you that is eternal, the part of you that will, will go on forever, the part of you that is really yearning to be connected with God, to really experience his presence. You could lose that. There's a verse in um, Deuteronomy in this, uh, in this story that the Israelites have been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years and the time is coming for them to get out of Egypt and go into the promised land and receive everything that they have yearned for. And God says this, only take care and keep your soul diligently. You're about to get what you've been yearning for, but take care as you get it that you keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children, your children's children. And the things that their eyes have seen are the presence of God in the middle of their darkest times, the power of God in the middle of their darkest times. And you can forget it. You can forget that when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he was with you. And when you come out and you get the things that you really wanted, you put him aside. You do that with even with relationships, with friendships, with job security. We forget that he was there with us in the middle of it. He was there in his presence. And so as we're looking this Christmas at what it means, Emmanuel, God with us, several points I want to bring out what this really means, that God is with you. Firstly, he wants you to know that he is with you. He really wants you to know this. When you look through history, Isaiah 7, 14 is an example. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. But hundreds of years before this was prophesied, because God had an amazing plan. So it wasn't that you would, people would randomly discover this, that it was prophesied so that when it happened, it would be apparent that God is with us and that he called his, he called his son Emmanuel, meaning God with us, of all the things he could have called him, not God judging us or God leading us or God condemning us or whatever it is or God teaching us. So it's God with us is what he wants us to know about him, about his character, about his nature, about his yearning for us, is that we would know that he is He's with us and it was prophesied hundreds of years before because he really, he really wants you to know this. He really wants you to know that this is not a random chance, that this is a very ornate plan. And what's more, he wants you to know the experience of him with you, the experience. You know, if I ask you about your father, whether your father is, is um, still with us or not, if you asked you about your father, to tell me what your father is like. And you could explain to me what your father is like. Some of you will have had good experiences and some of you will have bad experiences, but you could explain what he's like. I could say to you, can you write out stories of things that happened with your father as you were growing up? And you could do that. And I start to get a clearer picture of what your father is like, but I will never experience your father unless I live in your home with you growing up to experience what your father is actually like. And I'll still never fully experience him unless I'm actually his daughter because the love of a father for his child is different to any other children. So there's something you can only experience. And it's the same with God. 
Many people have heard about him. Many people have read about him. Many people have heard stories about him from other people, even amazing stories about him from other people, testimonies of healing and deliverance and being set free from so many different things, miracles happening in their lives. But until it's your experience, it's not the same. And God with you means that he wants you not just to know about him, not just to hear about him from someone else, but to experience him, to really see him. Because the one thing that he, that will keep you going for eternity is to actually experience him, experience his love, experience his grace, experience his power. And it can be a theory to you and he wants to push you into an experience of him. And so if you feel today like you're in Holland and you're planning for Italy, God is saying, you're here in Holland for a purpose and I want you to experience me here in Holland. This is what he did for the, um, the shepherds. So we had the shepherds sitting on a hillside the night that Jesus was born and a choir of angels appeared to them. And we read in Luke 2, the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all the people. For this day in the city of David there has been born to you a saviour who is Christ the Lord, the Messiah, and this will be a sign for you by which you will recognise him. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This will be a sign for you, shepherds, he's saying. This will be a sign for you. Now, it's quite significant that this was a sign for them. So they were set to encounter Jesus, encounter the Messiah being born. Now, swaddling cloths, I don't know what you think of swaddling cloths. Maybe you think of a beautifully handmade baby blanket, which it wasn't. I wasn't there, but I presume it wasn't a beautifully handmade baby blanket and that Mary didn't have a baby shower and she didn't go to Bethlehem with her bag of nappies with her. So swaddling cloths, or some, some translations say strips, they're strips of cloths. And what um, shepherds used these for was um, for the unblemished lamb. So for the Passover feast, a sacrifice of a lamb is made for the sins of the people. And the sacrifice of a lamb is an unblemished, perfect lamb. And so those lambs are are precious. And so when a perfect lamb, unblemished lamb, was born, the shepherds wrapped them in swaddling cloths to protect them. So when the angel says to shepherds who understand the value of a lamb who is offered as sacrifice for sins, and they see this baby is being born and its baby is wrapped in swaddling cloths and he is the Messiah, It means a lot to them. And God comes to them in their own experience, their own understanding of the world, and they get what it means. He gives them their own personal experience, and so they journey to see this Messiah, and they are filled with joy. They start to get the picture of what God is doing, that God is with us. And they go off and they tell every person that they encounter. And you only do that when you've experienced something amazing. And that's what they've done. They've experienced something amazing. So God wants you to experience him and he wants you to experience him in your life, in your context, with the things you know and the things you learn. Rabbi Jason Sobel said, A baby born in the same place that the Passover lambs were born, swaddled like a Passover lamb, pointing to the fact that Messiah was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Secondly, with God with us, The fact that God has this elaborate plan to bring his son into the world to die for us says an amazing message that God wants you to know that he is for you. He is for you. There's something about us as human beings that often thinks God is against us. 
and that we have to do everything we can to make him want to be for us. And so we, we often plead in our prayers, God, and we remind him of the good things we've done. So please, God, be for me. But he wants you to know that before you even thought of saying that prayer, he was already for you. He was already for you. He is for you right now, regardless of what you're going through at the moment and what you're feeling. He is actually for you. He has, a, he has a good plan for you. He's had an elaborate plan for you since time began. He's actually for you. We read in Romans 8 from verse 31. So what does all this mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me, who then could ever stand against us? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. God is for you. When you think of that Christmas night, God with us, that baby is a precious gift to you, wrapped as a Passover lamb, ready to give his life as a ransom for you, to rescue you, to save your soul, to save the essence of you, to save the eternal aspect of you. That's the special gift that he's given to us this Christmas. He is for you. His elaborate plan was always to be for you. When he came into the world to be with us, he was with us, to walk in the dirt with us, to experience everything that we've ever experienced the pain, the sorrow, the temptation, the suffering, everything that we experience, he too has experienced, to give his life for you. And it's all a gift. It's all a gift before any of us even thought about him, before any of us even had the capability of thinking about him. He gave us that gift. God is actually for you. And we read in Romans 5.1, our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us. And he now declares us flawless in his eyes. That's from the Passion Translation. That's an amazing concept. God is so much for you that he would send his only son into the world, wrapped in swaddling cloths, knowing that he would grow up to become a man after suffering the dirt and the, and the rubbish of this world to be condemned, to hang on a cross, to die, to pay for your sins and for my sins so that he could transfer his righteousness to you and to me and declare us flawless in his eyes. And the reason we find that so hard to grasp is because we don't see ourselves or one another as flawless. We find it so hard to look at each other as flawless that we can't imagine that there would be a God so gracious and loving that he could look at us as flawless. It's really almost beyond our ability to conceive and that's why we need to experience his love because when you experience his love, you start to believe from the depth of your being that he may look at you as you move into his kingdom, as you accept the sacrifice of Jesus, as you surrender your life to him, that he may see you as flawless and as beautiful and as amazing, as a person with a future and as a person with hope in this world, that he may have the ability to wash away all your sins as you bring them to him and forget them. It's hard for us to get that someone could be so perfect, so kind, so gracious and so loving, but that's who our God is. And that's why he wants to be with us because he, when he is with us, when he's with us and in us by his spirit, we start to experience the incredible grace that came into the world at Christmas. And then thirdly, he invites us to be with him and for him. He invites us to be with him and for him. You see, in Romans 5.18 we read, Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, 
But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God, a new life for everyone. There's two kingdoms mentioned here, two kingdoms, and you actually have the choice of which one you live in. One of them is hidden in this word, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. I just want to pause on that word condemn. It comes from the Latin word condamne, which you see has dam in it, from dam, which we, we have for damnation, meaning to inflict loss. It actually means to inflict loss. And when you live in the kingdom of condemnation, which the whole world lives in, you are so familiar with it. This is why it's so hard to understand this, this flawless God who looks at us with through this eyes of giving us his righteousness. It's so hard for us to understand because we are so familiar with the world of condemnation that we live in that often we don't even realise that we live in it. So condemn means to inflict loss and we see it like this. If someone goes to court and they're condemned to life in prison, they have their freedom taken from them. That loss of freedom has been inflicted upon them. If someone is condemned to death, loss of life is inflicted upon them. And we see condemned there but yet if you open up a news app on your phone now you'll see words of condemnation about different people and different situations and different nations around the world because we're so familiar with it and it it infiltrates our life we give out we watch the news and we utter words in our lounge rooms words of condemnation about people that we've just heard about on the news because um, we have an opinion from the media and we and it leads us into condemnation we have conversations with other people and we choose to tell other people something that we didn't like or upset about with another person and we're inflicting loss on the person who isn't even in the room because we're taking away from them in someone else's eyes some of their value or some of their worth, some of their integrity and we inflict loss on each other all the time just by the way we talk, the way we respond to people. We live in this world of condemnation and we do it to ourselves. We're very aware of our own faults and our own weaknesses and we inflict that loss on ourselves by saying to ourselves, you're hopeless, you failed, you did this. God couldn't love you. God would not be before not before you because you've done this or this or this. And then we see God like that as well because we see ourselves like that and we see others like that and because others see us like that. We're so familiar with this language of condemnation that we presume that God must be like that because surely God is like us and yet he's not. And so we're invited out of the world of condemnation which we're so familiar with that we sometimes find it uncomfortable to move out of the world of condemnation. What if you lived in a world where people spoke nicely about each other all the time, even those who have let us down? That's the world of no condemnation. In Romans 5.17 it says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. And that's what it's like when you live in this world of condemnation. We live under this, this rule of death and you can feel you can feel it the way that the whole world is operating. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man. It's a gift. He invites us into it. He invites us to be with him. So he is here. He's present here with us now. Even uh, those of us who are followers of Jesus can sometimes forget that he's so, so very present with us. But we have to receive the invitation to go into his presence. And when we do that, not only are we with him, we become for him. We become like him. And when we go into the world around us, we are, we are for him, not just in what we um, say about him, but in the very, very way we are. We represent a totally different kingdom now. 
We represent this kingdom of grace where we exude grace and love and forgiveness to other people, where we speak words of hope and encouragement to other people because we are for him. We are for him and and his way of living. We're no longer for the way of condemnation that the world has inflicted upon us and which we have embraced and which we live in so easily and he's inviting us out. But you have to choose to go out. You have to choose. And I believe it's something you choose every day. It's not just something that you choose once when you give your life to Christ. It's something every day you choose. I want to live in your presence today because many days you will wake up and discover you're in Holland and you need to discover his presence as you learn to live in Holland, as you learn to live with the experience that you didn't ask for and the things that happened in your life that you never dreamt were going to happen to you and there weren't the dreams that you had when you were five or six. But God's presence is there and he wants you to experience his presence in the middle of those circumstances and to fill your soul with the joy of his presence. And he looks at you as you surrender your life to him through the eyes of righteousness. He sees you differently. And as you live in that presence, you start to see yourself differently and you start to see others differently. In Romans 5, 2, it says our faith in this. It's only a faith in this. There's no way you can earn this. There's nothing you can do. There's no fancy trick that you can do to walk into this amazing presence where you start to see the world and God and yourself differently. There's nothing you can do except to accept it by faith. Does not doesn't come for good or bad people, clever people, Whatever it is, it's by faith. And our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvellous kindness that God has given us, a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. Finally, God is with us. God is with you and God is with me. But the angels actually announced Emmanuel, God with us. He didn't say God with you alone. He is with you alone. But God sees us as one. He sees us as his family, as his children. That's why he uses the language of family. God is with us. And when God is with us, when God is with me and God is with you, God is in you and God is in me and that connects us and suddenly everything transforms amongst us because God is with us. It says in um, 1 John 4, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. Conversely, you could say if we don't love one another, God does not live in us. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That's amazing. His love is made complete in us together. Us together. We experience his love. I share his love with you and you share his love with me. You share his love with the person across the table. You share his love with the people in your connect groups, the people you serve with on a Sunday. You share your love in his home. You share his love in your home. God is in you and collectively God is in us. And we get to experience his grace. We get to experience that world of no condemnation. And we give that to one another. That's how we know that we're in Christ. When you are a person who people feel loved by, God is in you. That's the, Jesus said this to his disciples. This is, how we'll, this is how people will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. God is in us. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. 
That's what he wants us to know with his presence, that we rely on the love that God has for us. You can't rely on examining yourself, examining your past. You can't rely on the opinions of others. You rely on the love God has for you. And the love that he has for you means that he sees you in his eyes as flawless when you are found in Christ Jesus. And I believe that's something you need to wake up and meditate on every single day of your life. Because every day of your life when you go to bed, you will see the regrets and failures of the day, but you wake up every morning as it says in the Scriptures, His mercy is in you every morning. And remember that He's with you. He's with you deep in your soul. He's with you, reminding you that He has loved you from before you were born. He has an elaborate plan to be with you. He's offered you an invitation that he could be with you and in you, that he would wash away everything that has caused you to live in this world of condemnation and to fill you with his grace and with his peace. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And that's how you know that God is with you. When you live in love, you live in God and God lives in you and it's a free gift. It's like there's a banqueting table and the invitations have gone out, but you have to receive the invitation and you have to walk out of the past and into his presence and sit at the table. And only you can do that. And so this morning, the um, worship team will come back up now. And look at this, this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9 where it says this, for to us, to all of us here and everyone on the planet, a child is born. To us, a son is given. It's a gift. The God that created the entire universe became a helpless baby, put himself into the hands of human beings and given to us, wrapped in swaddling clothes, ready to be made a sacrifice for you and for me. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. You may land in Holland and you may think this is the end, but there is no end to his goodness, his governance, his peace, his everlasting love. There is no end to it. And so this morning, where do you need to experience his presence? Where do you need that? Look at who he is here. Wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Perhaps today you need to know him not as someone else's wonderful counsellor, but as yours. You need wisdom or you need sometimes just what a counsellor will do, just someone to listen and to grieve with you. Perhaps today you need to experience him as mighty God. You've hit a wall in your life. You don't even know how to move into his presence. Only mighty God can do that for you. And you need mighty God to reveal himself to you. Perhaps today you need to become a child again and experience the everlasting Father. Regardless of how old we are, we need to be his, ch his children for the rest of our lives and into eternity so that we can allow him to be the Father who cares for us. And perhaps you grew up and became too independent and today you need to become a child again and experience the love of the everlasting Father who is the perfect Father. Perhaps today you need the Prince of Peace. Perhaps you have anxiety depression, worry, torment in your brain, inner turmoil in your heart and you just miraculously need the Prince of Peace and you need to experience that for yourself. You don't need to hear someone else's testimony may encourage you but you need the personal experience of the Prince of Peace within you. And the only way to discover that is to surrender 
There's no other way. You can't do anything fancy that will make God give it to you because he's already handing it out to you freely. It's to surrender. Because without realising it, we're all surrendered to something already. You may say, no, I'm a self-made man or woman, I'm in control of my life, but it's truly an illusion. No one is really. Who would have thought this year, with all the 2020 plans that people have had for the last 20 years, that it would have happened this year. It's like God said, well, you all had your 2020 vision and you were all wrong. Because none of you are actually in control. None of you really are in control. But we're all surrendered to something. So you're either surrendered to the philosophies of the world that we live in that tell you you need all these things, you need this relationship, you need this money, you need this job, you need this happiness, you need this trip, you need whatever. You are surrendered to that because that is driving you to find these things or you're surrendered to the grace and the love of Jesus. Either Everyone is surrendered to one of them. And every day you can wake up and surrender yourself to him again and have a fresh experience of his love again, of his peace, regardless of whether you landed in Italy or Holland. He's there with you. So let's take a moment now, just a silent moment. We'll close our eyes for a moment and just invite the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray, come and speak to each one of us. Lord, may we give up trying to experience you and just allow you to reveal yourself to us. May we stop stop striving to be great because we know we're not. May we come humbly admitting our faults and our failures, our dreams and desires, our disappointments, our dashed hopes. May we bring it all to you, Lord. Just thank you that you love us and that whether today we're in Italy or Holland, you are with us and that is the most important thing and you are transforming us from the inside out. And I pray for each one of us today, Lord, that we won't just know about you or hear about you, but we'll experience you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just take a moment as the worship team sing over us. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you.